Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and this is episode number 50. Carl, we've done so many match breakdowns, I would never have guessed that we would have been doing episode 50 on a Super League and Ed Woodward finally out of the United Door. Quite a day in the world of football, Vivek. Uh, who would have thought that episode 50 would have also come on a day where there was actually no game involved? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, the first thing I want to do is just thank all the listeners who have been along with us this whole time. I look at some of our stats and we have uh, obviously uh, the majority of our listeners in Canada and then there's the US and then there's the UK. But some of the other countries that I see on our list, like Thank you. There's people in Saudi, in India, in Bangladesh, in Germany, Singapore, Norway, Vietnam, New Zealand and Australia, Ecuador. So all those people, a massive shout out to them uh, for joining us. But let's get right into it, man. The Super League, like the last 72 hours have felt like a year's worth of news stories. It's crazy. To, from Sunday, the news breaking. Let's start there. Sunday, obviously, there was a United game. But this news is lurking. And all of a sudden, it's out there that there will be 15 founding clubs. The big six, the so-called big six in England, joining these 15 clubs, announcing that they're going to break away from the Champions League and have their own league with five other teams that will be determined. They haven't. Re- they didn't really give a great description of the five teams who would qualify. What was your initial reaction, seeing that this was a possibility, and the fact that Manchester United were going to be involved in it? Honestly, Vivek, I was in a a state of shock. I I didn't know how to react. Thank God I wasn't one of those pundits on TV who had to give their opinion. Uh, <laughs> just much less, you know, try to process it. I was trying to process it. Me and you both watch multiple different sports. So the first thing that I was trying to use as a frame of reference was like, okay, what other sport can I compare this to to kind of figure out how I should take this news, if it's a positive or a negative. And then what I found myself struggling was comparing it to any other sport. It it looked like an absolute mishmash of like North American franchise model, uh, cricket IPL model. You had the you know, football with potentially some, I would assume, invite relegation model. But then I once I was able to process this a lot more, there was none of that. It was a very poorly planned idea. And even till this day, I'm still trying to figure out how they came up with this idea and how they were able to release as little information as possible, just throwing the whole football world into a complete spiral of negativity. What about you, Vivek? How were you processing this and what did you think of it? So I was in a daze. Just so uh, those who are listening in know, though they said there were 15 founding members, they only revealed 12, six from England, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Tottenham. From Spain, you had Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid. From Italy, you had Juventus, Inter Milan, and AC Milan. For me, I, I was in a daze. Like I was covering the Raptors game 
and I'm watching that Raptors game and all I'm thinking about was from a fan perspective, I cannot believe Manchester United are doing this. I cannot believe they are completely disconnecting from everything that has made that club and frankly all the clubs all over the world who they are. And they've com- this Super League, they were just completely going all in on being a corporation, on making as much money as possible, on guaranteeing as much revenue for themselves without any regard for all the clubs that they compete with on a regular basis and saying, yeah, we, we've made plenty of terrible financial decisions that the global pandemic is making us pay for now. And we are going to recoup that money any way we can. We don't care about the fans. We don't care about all the clubs below us. We don't care about football at a grassroots level. We don't care about any of that. We just want our money and we want it now. That was the message that I received and I was absolutely livid. And Carl, I said this in the group chat. If Manchester United, if this Super League, thankfully we know now that it has been completely shut down. And uh, But if this went ahead, I would have been done with my United fandom. I, I would have moved on. I would have picked a Leeds United or an Aston Villa, whoever it was, and supported one of them. And I would have hoped that the Premier League just banished all those top six. That's how strongly I felt about it. Yeah, and, and those are big words because, like, you know, being a supporter of United, even mentioning Leeds United in the same sentence is uh, already stoking some flames for, for some fans <laughs> out there. It, it's definitely something where I don't know if I could have relinquished my fandom, but I could see a, a realistic situation where, you know, if this did go through over the years, my fandom would have definitely have waned definitely to a point where maybe I wouldn't want to start a podcast on it. Right. And so I think that's probably what, what I would say to that. So Vivek, before we, we move on in terms of the timeline of what happened on the Monday and then the Tuesday, why don't we give listeners a sense of, of why this is such a bad idea in the first place? I know there's a lot of, you know, listeners, maybe in uh, majority of our listeners in Canada and the U S uh, who are wondering, hey, you know what? It's great to watch Real Madrid play a Manchester United week in, week out. It's great to see all these big matches. What's all the fuss about? For me, the fuss is about the fact that they were completely shunning all these other clubs and saying, we are too big for anyone and we want all this money. I would liken it to, say, for example, if you're an NBA fan, And the NBA has had conversations looking at the English model, looking at European football model and saying, oh, you know, what if we had like an NBA cup to to accompany the NBA regular season, right? How would you feel if they said, yeah, we're going to go ahead with this NBA cup and we are only going to have the Knicks, Warriors, Lakers, Bulls, Celtics, Clippers, Nets. Why did I pick those teams? I picked those teams because those are the most valuable franchises in the league currently. And so what if that happened? Those teams get to make all that revenue. And the other X factor I'll throw in there, let's throw out the salary cap. 
because that doesn't exist in football. Yeah, there's financial fair play, but we know that that doesn't really apply. But say you throw out the salary cap and now these few teams are able to go into that NBA cup, compete in it for eternity because no one else can get in or say they allow, you know, two or three teams to be a part of it every year just to get a taste. And those teams are able to use that revenue to get better and separate themselves in the NBA competition as well, like in the regular season and then the playoffs. How would that make you feel? That's how I felt about this. I think that was a great uh, comparison, Vivek, just, you know, putting it in terms of what we can understand here, because I know salary cap is a big, big deal here. And that's what kind of limits you from getting the very best on your team. So now just having that unlimited budget, it just, it, you're, you're going to see a divide that happens where it's always going to be the same teams over and over again. And the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. All you Raptors fans, you would never see the Raptors win a title again. Yep. One and done. <laughs> you, you, like Everyone wants to talk about, oh, the NBA hates the Raptors and oh, because they're in Canada and this and that. That would only be magnified if the NBA did something like this. That's a, that's a good point, Vivek. And, you know, one of the things that's also really important for, for fans all over to understand is this league... Uh, the way football teams were developed was very organically. Uh, the cities themselves, they were just working people who back in the day were playing football and then they started to represent their teams. Those teams started to grow over time and they became what they are today. That's how Manchester United started. That's how Liverpool started. And that's one of the reasons why they have such a deep-seated rivalry. It's because it comes from all these industrial workers who worked in all these different places and they were working for jobs, right? And uh, Liverpool and Manchester at the time, very similar industries in what they did. Manchester was heavily involved in textiles. And so, you know what? When when you had more people taking jobs in a certain part, you were taking it away from a different part. And that's why that rivalry between Manchester and Liverpool is so fierce, right? Now, you, you think back, those teams, if the Super League existed, they would never become the force they are today because the money in the game would not reach them. This is mm -hmm. what the Super League is threatening. This is what Vivek means when he's talking about the grassroots levels. That money that you get at the very top filters down through all the different teams. It comes in many different shapes and sizes. For example, the FA Cup. That's one of the most romantic tournaments. And the reason for that is all the football teams in the league doesn't matter if you're in Division 1 or Division 8, 9, 10. They can be drawn against each other. And this is what makes it amazing. Can you imagine, like, you know, you're just playing for your team Mississauga FC, right? And then being able to be drawn and played against, like, TFC? That's what happens in England, right? And imagine you get to go to an Old Trafford to play where, you know, Mississauga FC's capacity is just 300 people. Now you're going to a stadium where the away section is 10,000 people and you get all that revenue coming back to your club. Imagine what that money is going to do for your club. You could probably use that money, invest it in a nice pitch, inv invest it in a nice stadium, and then you end up becoming bigger and then moving up the divisions. This is what we mean with the money filtering through to the grassroots level. And Carl, to your point, you and I are everyday people. 
right? If we spend in excess of our budget, there's a price to pay. If we perform poorly at work, there's a price to pay. And all these owners that have come in at these clubs, they don't want any of that. They don't want any of those consequences. They don't want to deal with the reality of promotion and relegation, even if it's a tenth of a percentile of a chance for these teams to actually go through something like that. Yeah. And so they want this guaranteed revenue. 300 million pounds was what was projected annually for these clubs if this competition existed, of which they explained nothing of how it would help any of the teams that weren't in the competition to grow the game. It's just revenue for themselves. And then on top of that, you think about the fact that they're just looking at what these brands are right now. You look at some of the teams that are getting in there. What has Arsenal done lately? What has Tottenham done lately? Ajax has won the Champions League four times. How are they not a part of it? You look at the women's side. Lyon has won the Champions League five times in a row. And they would not be a part of this. Liverpool's women's team is in the second division. And they would automatically be in this. Which, by the way, they also said in their statement that, oh, we'll get to the women's side of things when we get to it. They completely brushed off that side. And when you think about Arsene Wenger saying that this has been a conversation since 2009 and that's all you can offer up. I mean, what is the level of conversation that they're having about the game? Clearly, clearly, this was only about the revenue. So to me, it was a disaster of a plan that was waiting to be hammered down. And that was the reaction that we saw on Monday. Yes, it was quite quite visceral at, at it as well. We also had a couple of games that were happening in the Premier League. And you could see quite a few statements being made. So on Monday, Liverpool played Leeds. And before the game, Leeds were wearing shirts that said, Earn It. And they had a logo of the Champions League on there. And then, uh, you know what? That, that spoke volumes. And you had quite a few pundits also giving their opinion. You had Rio Ferdinand. You had Gary Neville. You had Jamie Carragher. And they were quite passionate. This is the first time you've seen quite a united front from so many different people with so many different agendas. And that's just the power of what can happen when you affect something that at the end of the day is what it is because of its fans. Let's not forget that. I think what was happening was that these owners at the very top were using this, treating this just like a business. And they assumed that the fans are just customers. And so sometimes customers are not going to like when you have a price increase, but this isn't just your regular customers. These are fans. There's more involved in that. There's intangibles. There's things that are irrational, right? These things, you know, don't happen when you're just a customer. Yeah, you can be irrational. Sorry, okay, get out of my store. I don't want to sell you my product. That doesn't happen here. Yeah, and we saw some great reactions. We saw, obviously, Gary Neville, I think, has taken himself to a different stratosphere with the things he's said over the last few days. And he was one of the first to completely shut down this idea and say that it needs to be thrown out the window. Pep Guardiola had some great things to say. Jurgen Klopp, the fact that he insisted privately on having a conversation, because all of this came to light without any consultation with him. The fact that he insisted 
on a conversation uh, with the owners and went off on them. The fact that all of this is coming out now, you see where their loyalty lies. You see that between the players and the coaches, they are so much more connected to the fans and how they see the game than everyone that's sitting in those owner suites. Absolutely. And you look at Jurgen when he was interviewed after the game uh, against Leeds and he was trying to, he was towing a fine line. You know he wanted to give his opinion, but you knew at the same time he was just an employee for Liverpool. So if he said something too far, he was going to be looking for a job. But Liverpool also knew Hey, if they get rid of this manager, they're gonna have like anarchy on their hands. Like, <laughs> I don't think like people are gonna give a you know what that it's COVID and you're not supposed to be gathering because there would have been mass protests, right? And that's something that Jamie Carragher alluded to. So it looks like these owners kind of came to their senses eventually. Speaking of people who we're at their senses the whole way through. I think we have to give a shout out to PSG for not getting involved at all. They take a lot of stick in terms of the way they spend their money, the fee they paid for Neymar, all of that. I think they deserve some credit for refusing to be a part of this. I think the biggest shout out of all absolutely goes to Bayern Munich. They had no desire to be a part of this whatsoever. And even if you go back to when the first wave of COVID arrived, them, along with three other German clubs, Borussia Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen, and RB Leipzig, all four who qualified for the Champions League, they pledged 20 million euros uh, to help their Bundesliga rivals deal with the pandemic because of all the costs that all those other clubs were incurring. And so that is what you want to see in terms of leadership from the top clubs. You understand that the game is bigger than yourself. And... When all these teams that committed to the Super League tried to make this happen, or when all the owners tried to make this happen, their error in judgment was thinking that they are bigger than the game, that they are bigger than the fans. And boy, did that get shut down in a hurry because we saw what happened Tuesday. It just goes to show you how important it is when you're an owner to understand the culture of what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. If you just think you can you know, use a cookie cutter approach because something might have worked with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you want to employ it at Manchester United, <laughs> you, you might be in for a rude awakening. For for our Canadian listeners out there, you know what I'm talking about when, when Target, a superstore, tried to come into Canada and employ what they did in the States and then they failed within two years and had to, you know, go back to the US with their tail between their legs because whatever they tried to employ here didn't work, right? So just give me an idea of how culture can transcend sports it can transcend a lot of things if you just don't understand the people who are there at the end of the day who are your consumers quote unquote then uh, you're in for a rude awakening now we look at tuesday obviously all the backlash comes in and everyone basically realizes that they can't go ahead with this that this is not a viable plan that the fans completely reject it and it's time to make an about turn you have the English clubs leave. You have, I mean, pretty much everyone is out now, uh, except for Real Madrid, except for Barcelona. Uh, I, I imagine that news will come soon enough. But from a United perspective, if there was uh, a blessing in disguise to come out of all of this, 
Ed Woodward is gone. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I could not believe it. I mean, I was in the middle of my workday when that was happening. And then all I see is Vivek's message in capital letters. Ed Woodward has resigned. I thought I was dreaming once again. I was wondering what on earth was going on. We've been trying to get this man out of our club for the better part of eight years. And finally, this is what it took. Put his foot in his mouth one too many times. And finally, he got burned. Now, I can fully recognize that people will still say the Glazers are the head of the snake that they are the ones that need to go for United to truly be the organic version of who they've been. But I still think this is something worth celebrating. I'm just going to read an excerpt from an article in The Athletic. Many will find such a position difficult to accept, despite the efforts of those advocating for the executive. Woodward is a former J.P. Morgan employee, and he aided the highly leveraged takeover of Manchester United for the Glazer family while working for the American Bank. Soon after the takeover was completed, he became the family's chief of staff and eventually rose to the position of executive vice chairman. He has been their greatest ally, and his devotion has eventually brought him to his knees. There is no way he would have planned to announce his resignation shortly before 9.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night in April. So all those reports you see about, oh, Edward Ward was on his way out at the end of the season anyway, and this they just moved forward the announcement, that's that's just a bunch of PR BS. This is clearly, the there is no recovery for Edward Ward from this. They would not have gone through the realignment with Murtaugh and Darren Fletcher if they knew that Woodward was on the way out anyway. This is clearly backlash to me. Uh, that, that they needed to deal with. Obviously, since we've seen the apologies from Joel Glazer, we've seen the apology from John Henry, from Fenway Sports Group, they've got a lot of sucking up to do now. But do you think that the wounds will ever heal from this? It will take a very long time. I don't think it will completely heal, but I think that it it will be forgotten maybe 10 years from now. It's not going to be forgotten anytime soon. Interesting. I think this is where they made uh, a huge mistake in thinking how big of a power play they can make. I think this has overstepped the line. I think it is a matter of time before they are gone. Yeah, you know what? You make a good point. I, I do think if we if we look back five years from now or 10 years from now, most of these clubs will have different owners and this will would have been the straw that broke the camel's back carl it'll be interesting to see now because they've said that they will look to rework the super league plans and try to come up with uh something that truly aids the footballing pyramid what they come up with who uh, who knows but at the very least i think this will at least open UEFA's eyes and realize that there is a threat out there that they do need to keep improving. They do need to keep pushing to be the best that they can be in terms of the UEFA Champions League product, in terms of the Europa League product, and continuing to push for more revenue streams and growing the game as best they can. 
what lessons do you think they'll take from this? Vivek, I think the the number one thing you hit the nail on the head is that UEFA just thought that they are, for lack of a better word, there's no competition. They're a monopoly out there, right? There's no threat to them whatsoever. Now that clubs have become the juggernauts that they are today, they are capable of funding their very own league. They're capable of getting this investment from somebody like a JP Morgan to to be able to do this. This is something that would have been unheard of uh, even 10 years ago. And so UEFA now knows that they're held to a higher standard. When, When you've got things that really, really matter to the people, you've got a lot on the line. So clearly money talks in this game. That's the whole reason why this was made in the first place. You could see from that statement that the only thing they released was how much money was being given to the clubs and everything else was an afterthought. But I think something else that could be as important one day, if you get fans all on the same page, like they did with this, is racism. If racism continues to go on the way it's going uh, in the game today, I think the players now know that they have a certain level of power as well. And if they start to get together, if the fans start to get together, so UEFA's got to take that a lot more seriously. They've got to come up with better or stronger punishments being handed down. They can't think of this as just, hey, you know what, a fine and a ban here, there is good enough to send the message across. Now that they know that... I would love to see them start docking points. There we go. I was just getting into that. Like We, we know how important revenue is. Now, if clubs don't take what's happening seriously with their own fans... You've got to penalize them. And the best way to penalize them is like, hey, if you start docking points, for example, where you know the amount of money you can make when you qualify into the round of 16 is massive. Now, if that one point is what you needed and you got docked that, you're probably going to learn a pretty, pretty good lesson to to weed out those individuals that are causing this disharmony in the game. And frankly, that should be in all the leagues, right? So even in the domestic leagues, if you're saying hey, this won't be tolerated and you as a club will be punished. Now it sends a message to those fans, right? That you will be hurting your club if you cross the line. And so now if those three points or whatever it may be cost you a Champions League place, the clubs are going to take it very, very seriously instead of just issuing some statement. Absolutely. Now the other thing I was going to say that UEFA what they should be looking at is the group stages were getting kind of stale. I don't have any stats on this. I, I, I would love for UEFA to post something, but viewership ratings and the group stages based on the level of competition isn't where it once was. And they have to make changes. Now, Vivek, I know UEFA has released a statement, I think on Monday, of some of the changes that are coming in 2024. and. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope that that's going to have a difference. What were some of those changes? So in effect, it really reduces the chances of one of the top teams getting knocked out in the group stage because you're playing more matches. You can get off to a slower start and still recover because they will be going from six league matches to 10. Everyone is going to be in one league. There's going to be 36 teams. And so you're going to have... Everyone play 10 matches, five at home, five away. The top eight will go straight to the round of 16. Nine through 24 will then play each other in a two-leg playoff with eight of those 16 teams advancing. 
to play the top eight. So it really creates a low risk scenario, which basically in a lot of ways addresses what these big clubs were worried about. So now you qualify for the Champions League. You're not getting six league fixtures. You're getting 10, which is good news for the smaller clubs as well, because now that's more money in their pocket. If you look at big picture, I think from a financial level, it does address some of those bigger clubs needs because of their larger revenue desires. But I think it also can offer greater exposure for these lower teams. So I do think it's a plausible fix going forward. Yeah, you know, time will tell. But, uh, you know, Vivek, you, you've made some good points on how UEFA is trying to address some of these situations. Let's see how they end up working out. At the same time, you know, one of the other areas where UEFA really needs to improve is there still seems to be corruption in this game. And they, they need to clean this up at a faster rate. We cannot keep having what's happening. You look at financial fair play, you get Man City that was supposed to have been banned. You get mm-hmm. PSG that was had a question mark. And then, you know, with some big powerful lawyers, you you tend to get most of these bans thrown out the door, right? There, right. there needs to be a lot more transparency into why that occurred in the first place and what magically changed, what magic accounting was been able to do. Yep, yep. Yep. I think uh, Vivek the, the last thing is you know we're we're talking about this right now but rest assured now we're entering the stage of where all the ramifications are going to come through for even having the Super League in the first place. So <laughs> stay tuned for when we have our next match week episode because we'll be able to let you know of what some of those ramifications are going to be. Now each individual <laughs> league is going to start taking aim at these clubs and we'll see what happens. That'll wrap it up for this episode, this emergency pod number 50 in the books. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.